Welcome to the Founders for Good podcast, hosted by myself, Craig Turner. Join me as I speak to the most inspirational founders of four good startups, the people that are leading the way when it comes to solving the world's most pressing issues. I explore their journey as founders and their best kept secrets on how to grow a four good startup and how to hire top people. My hope is that this will inspire you to be part of the solution and do your bit in making the world a better place. Thanks for tuning in to the Founders for Good podcast. Lenny Lehman is the co-founder and CEO of GreenSpark. Lenny's mission is to make it as easy as possible for consumers and businesses to do good. His first tech for good venture, Mammoc, was a marketplace for sustainable consumer products, and he's now building GreenSpark. GreenSpark was built on the belief that the only way to embed doing good into businesses for the long term is to show that it will positively impact their revenue. So GreenSpark makes it super easy for companies to link positive climate action to the behaviours they want to encourage with their consumers. Every time an order is placed, a tree is planted. Every time there's a newsletter sign up, a piece of plastic is removed from the ocean. So a clear, tangible link between consumer action and doing good. And if GreenSpark can make this the new normal for businesses, then there's a real opportunity to drive positive change on a global scale. Hey, Lenny, thanks for chatting with me today. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. No problem. Absolute pleasure. Um, so, you know, chatting to you as a, a fairly seasoned kind of tech for good entrepreneur. Um, I was wondering if you could just give the listeners and myself like a brief overview of your, your background and like any kind of magical moments that led you to, to working in the tech for good space. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess I potentially have a slightly strange journey where I've worn, you know, many different hats, but I think ultimately this has prepared me really well for being a founder where you suddenly have to take on every job that exists in your company before you can really, you know, understand which roles you should hire for and, you know, the skills and people that are needed to fill those roles. Um, I guess in a certain way, I never really knew what I wanted to do when I grew up. And uh, to be honest, I still don't really. Um, to start at the beginning, I grew up, uh, you know, in little tiny Austria, but I always wanted to leave. So I moved to the UK to do my undergrad when I was 18. And my generally my background is in marketing, economics, and I'm also a full stack software engineer. So I started working uh, at large publications as well as a pharmaceutical company in marketing which, as you can imagine, was very depressing. Um, and so, you know, I wasn't super happy with where life was going. So I decided to go back to university, um, moved back to London, went to King's College and studied international development of emerging economies. Um, and after that, I had the great idea of joining a consultancy in big data where I was advising banks on riveting topics like, you know, why the French don't like contactless payments. <laughs> um, and it was during this time I was really um, sad, I guess. <laughs> um, and so my girlfriend took me on a wonderful trip to Iceland. And I guess, you know, I guess you asked for a crystallizing moment. And um, so we were on the side of the road and we'd bought these, um, these socks from a woman on the side of the road and she, they were woolen socks. And she was like, yeah, you know, uh, I made these and the sheep where, uh, the wool has come from, you can see them, they're over there. And on the flight back to London, I was thinking like, whoa, this was such a cool thing. You know, um, I've studied, uh, international development. I, you know, kind of understand what's going on. And like, it's really cool to be able to see, you know, the entire supply chain of this product, um, you know, really just by standing there. And I thought, you know, this is something that I'd like to bring to other people, which really sparked um, the idea for my first company, which was um, Mamok, and it was a marketplace for sustainable products. We were the first in the UK to execute on an idea like that. We grew to hundreds of brands from across Europe raised VC funding. We were named among the top 100 uh, UK social enterprises. And I also had the amazing opportunity to be then incubated with that company at uh, King's College in London, as well as Cambridge University, where I, you know, really learned what it entails to be a founder. And also uh, this kind of journey brought me to uh, the idea with GreenSpark. Just before we, we go on to GreenSpark specifically, I was just going to talk to you about the, the impact space that you, you focus on with the current venture, which is like positive climate action. Um, going to give you a broad question to begin with, which is, you know, when it comes to climate change, like why, 
Why do people and businesses need to really take action now? Yeah, I mean, I guess, um, you know, the climate crisis is really the biggest problem of our generation, or at least, you know, that's kind of what you hear in all of the headlines. Um, and of course, you know, when you look at the science behind it, the world is definitely changing more rapidly. Um, and I think we've, well, I hope that mostly we've come to a general understanding that, you know, um, water levels will rise, there will be mass migration, you know, the world will shift drastically. And in, uh, unless governments, individuals and businesses, um, you know, take part in that shift to, for example, switching to renewables, um, we're going to be in a huge mess, right? And I, I appreciate this is a, a very complicated problem. There is no one easy solution. And, and I'm going to ask you a question, which is very much simplified down. But yeah, if you look at kind of like three levels of how to combat this, you could can look at like a consumer individual level of, of positive climate action. You can look at like businesses doing more, or you can look at kind of like the highest level of like government and policy. Um, obviously stuff needs to happen on all three levels, but in your personal opinion, like where do you think is the biggest opportunity to have an impact? Like if we can really shift the needle, do you think that'd be at like a, an individual level or a business level or like government policy level? Yeah. I mean, I think, as you said, it needs to be all three of these. Um, I think, um, I've always, you know, felt that, you know, coming from a, uh, a country that, you know, where government is involved, I always feel that, you know, government should take action and that, you know, that's, uh, you know, putting the correct, uh, rules, institutions, et cetera, in place is, you know, key in creating lasting change. However, um, you know, the, one of the reasons why I wanted to start GreenSpark is because I firmly believe in the idea that, you know, if you manage to add impact to ev positive impact to every transaction, um, you can have huge change in the world. And that's really, you know, one of the reasons I started the company and what I, and why I believe that business, um, needs to change. I think, unfortunately, businesses only change when either one of two things happen. So, Either there's government regulation, which, um, as we're seeing is, you know, kind of slow, uh, not really consequential and, um, not super exciting or businesses will change when there's an ROI opportunity. And I think that's the second thing that I've set out to prove with, or that, you know, we've set out to prove with GreenSpark is what's the business case for having a positive impact? Because that way we can harness, you know, billions of microtransactions and funnel them uh, to great projects in order to enact real world change. hundred percent. And on, on that last point, like okay, yeah, as a, just thinking as a consumer, like that's, that's a trend that I'm seeing more and more like the, the companies I'm buying from, uh, a lot of decisions are driven by where I feel they're actually going to do some good as well as me obviously getting a quality product or service back. Um, but I'm seeing more and more businesses care about being responsible, being sustainable. Do you think that is driven by the consumer behavior and consumers wanting that more and more from businesses? Or do you feel that's coming generally from businesses actually wanting to be more responsible, more sustainable in like how they operate or a bit of both? I think it's probably a bit of both. Obviously, you know, as a business, you need to um, respond to consumer demand, right? Otherwise, you're going to die. Um, and I think, you know, that's why bigger businesses are slower to respond because they are responding to demand rather than, you know, being created with an intrinsically positive, um, you know, social or environmental outcome. Um, and on the other hand, I also think that, you know, a lot of businesses are being started by younger and younger people that are, you know, um, worried about uh, things that maybe our parents weren't worried about um, and therefore are, starting companies that, you know, are, um, their goal is to have a net positive outcome on not just shareholders, but all stakeholders. So for the listeners, would you be able to give an overview of, of what GreenSpot does? Yeah, of course. I guess in a nutshell, what GreenSpark does is that we help businesses and individuals take meaningful action in an automated way and then help them to amplify that impact with our suite of marketing tools. For example, a business can, in a few simple clicks, integrate their sales channels, like, for example, their shop system or the marketplaces that they might be working with, as well as their marketing and reviews collection systems, such as, you know, uh, Klaviyo, Omnisend, Reviews.io. 
in order to incentivize certain actions like planting a tree per order, rescuing plastic for every newsletter sign up or offsetting CO2 for each review left by customers. And the awesome thing that we're seeing is that once companies are generating this automated impact, they all want to maximize the visibility of it with their uh, stakeholders, which then further amplifies that impact, pushing others to take action too. So we then provide uh, companies with um, with an engaging suite of marketing tools for both online and offline applications like badges, widgets, QR code, and what we call our B2B2C impact wallet, where those businesses and customers can uh, create an account and then track the impact of their actions. So for example, when a tree is planted, uh, you might get an update on where that tree is planted, who's planting it. Uh, you can see you know, the sustainability achievements and goals of the uh, companies that you're supporting. And therefore, you know, it allows um, consumers to gain deeper insights and to you know, really support brands that are doing the right thing. Got it. And I'm going to dig a little bit more into how the product works, like the business model. But before I do that, I just wondered like when and where the, the idea itself kind of came from. Like I know you mentioned about Mamok and, and um, you know, how that, that kind of finished. At what point was it like something you were really starting to think about during that venture? Or was it something afterwards that you were like, yeah, this is something we I really need to be working on next? It was... I guess it was a little bit of both. I was, um, at, at my previous company, I was, you know, in charge of the product and working with the engineers. And I always felt, you know, that this was a really cool thing that they were doing, uh, and that I knew nothing about. Um, and so I decided, okay, I want to become a full stack software engineer because I love solving little logical problems and, you know, getting little endorphin releases whenever something works. Um, and so during my, uh, while I was studying to do that, I, you know, needed a project to work on. And so I was thinking about, okay, what are the, you know, where's my expertise? What do I know about? Um, you know, where can I add value? Uh, and while we were, while we were running Mamok, we were, um, you know, talking to hundreds of, uh, of founders, CEOs, et cetera, from, uh, mission driven companies and, it became pretty clear that, you know, they all want to align with a positive impact, but they don't know which one to choose, don't have the internal capacity and time to manage it. And, um, you know, it would behoove them to uh, have a solution that automates all of that and also helps them bring the end customer in on that journey. So I started by building a super simple subscription business where you could uh, sign up your um, employees based on you know, um, on carbon emissions, uh, from the various countries that you might be signing up from. And then based on average offset those. Um, and so we started super simple. We got a couple of clients and then we kind of built out the product from there. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. And, um, like from, from that idea and the, the kind of early stage prototype and building it out, like what did you focus on? Once GreenSpot was like incorporated and it was like the first six months, I know you're still quite early, it's still like under two years in as a business. Was it was it sales and it was signing up paying customers, or was it actually um you know, validating that concept that you were you had a pretty good idea was actually you know you're onto something? What, what did the first six months look like for you and the founding team? Yeah, so once we had the MVP, I think in general, my advice to founders is always launch early, iterate quickly, and, you know, never give up uh, unless your idea is not worth it. Then please do give up, <laughs> um, but, <laughs> which I have plenty Good of advice. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so for me, it was always clear, okay, I need to get an MVP up and then I need to start getting some... Um, some paying customers. And luckily my co-founder Matt is, um, you know, really good at the second part. And I was decent at the first part. Um, so we had an MVP that kind of worked and a great salesperson that was selling it. Um, so in the first couple of months, the idea was to get paying customers because unless someone, I always think, you know, unless someone pays you, um, there's not really a business there, even if it's just a little bit. Yep. Um, so that then allowed us to, you know, run customer interviews and understand, you know, more about, okay, what is it that we should actually be building and where is there a gap in the market that we can fill and how can we build an awesome product that our core target market is going to want to use? 
Um, so those, that was kind of the initial step. And then obviously, or not obviously, but then the next step for us was um, raising some initial capital in order to be able to start um, building on the learnings that we that we'd gained in those initial months. Yeah, makes total sense. And and then to come back to kind of the product and just how some of it works. Um, so obviously you have to create a, a kind of like a, a baseline. So if a business signs up and let's say they have like 10 employees, how do you go about calculating the footprint for that business? Like what, what do you base the calculation on? Yeah, so we have, I guess we have two products. On the one side, we have our um, workforce product where that's based on industry averages, um, depending on the country that you're signing up on. And then um, we, and then, you know, you, there's different plans where you can offset more than that uh, or, you know, half of that. Uh, and you simply sign up your cost, your uh, employees. We wanted to keep that super simple, straightforward. We didn't want, I never really liked these calculators that give you, uh, it always kind of feels like it's a random number. Um, because you know, if I say I ate a tomato yesterday, you don't know, did that tomato come from your garden? Was it flown in from Peru? Um, you know, is it a Spanish tomato? Like what, you know yeah. what I mean? A tomato is not a tomato, uh, or tomato. <laughs> um, and <laughs> Um, sorry. Yeah. And then the second, uh, product that we have is, um, focused on this kind of automation side of things. So there, a company would sign up and then they would choose the tools that they'd like to integrate. And then we provide them with various triggers that they can use in order to, um, in order to trigger impact, whether that's uh, a review, an order, a newsletter sign up, you know, a product sale, whatever that might be, yeah. uh, it's then up to the company to decide what impact that you know best aligns with their brand and uh, when they'd like to trigger that. And then I guess the third part is this kind of engagement hub or engagement suite, um, which are all of these marketing tools that I touched upon earlier that companies can then use in order to amplify the impact that they're doing. Yeah. Nice. And in terms of the, the impact partners or projects that your customers have access to and can build into their, their transactions with their customers, um, how do you select those partners or projects? Like is it, is it about value for money and it's about, you know, trying to find you know, kind of low cost solutions that means that you get kind of more bang for your buck or is it, is it more about actually looking at the locations? If it's like reforestation, looking at the areas of the world that need that the most and price is like a secondary factor. It's definitely a combination of everything. Of course, we need to, you know, ensure that we have excellence in our product. So in our, sorry, not our products, in our projects, yeah. uh, in our project partners. Um, so, you know, we're super transparent with all of our um, vetting processes. We look at, um, you know, third-party certifications, financials, um, you know, uh, tracking technology that they might have in place, uh, you know, is the forest being monitored by drones, are the wells, uh, you know, is there, for example, a technology in place that's monitoring whether a well is, um, you know, providing water or not, um, you know, is how is the plastic collected, how are you verifying all of these things on technology is a super helpful factor there as well. Um, we then also always look at the, you know, social and environmental impact of a project and always uh, vet it against the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Um, then in terms of the pricing, one thing that's really important is that we can get to a unit uh, measurement that, you know, a company can internalize into their margins um, or we can provide it uh, in a way... and. Sorry. And I guess that then also then depends on the company, right? Like a company, uh, one company might have a bigger margin and might therefore be able to, you know, do more of that unit. And another company might have smaller margins and need to do less of that unit. But it allows, you know, different companies to choose different impacts that also work for them. And then the third thing that's really important, I think, is... Um, one-to-one -one relationships. So one tree, one plastic bottle, one, uh, you know, day of access to clean water, one meal, uh, you know, one unit of something that's tangible, which is why carbon offsetting is, I find the most ambiguous one, because what is one ton of CO2? Nobody really knows. Uh, or I mean, your end customers don't really understand what that means. And I think that's really important because, 
um, at the end of the day, you want to also be able to tell a story around the impact that you're having. And if it's, you know, ambiguous and vague uh, and difficult to understand, um, it's going to be difficult for uh, our brand partners, but also end customers to, uh, you know, really connect with it. 100%. And um, yeah, when I, any kind of solutions like this, I, I think what it really boils down to is, is like your ability to allow your customers, to allow their customers to feel really good about where they're spending the money and the impact that has. And like you said, I think the ability to make that as, as tangible and visible and transparent as possible is, is absolutely key. Um, I mean, you, you mentioned earlier when you gave the overview of the business, like uh, how, how some of the marketing and like communication hub works. Um, I just wondered like in terms of the, the like some of the assets that your customers um, have access to, like, I, you know, I've seen some companies where you have like an online forest. I've seen some where it's more like kind of a monthly update of, um, you know, this is the impact you're having as our customer some it's more of like a retail, like a an impact page you have that you can tie to your website. Um, I mean, do you do all of those, and, and do you see that there's like one or two working more than others that, that customers tend to prefer? We do a couple of those. Um, we have the impact page that you know details the overall impact. We also give equivalents to always put each of the impacts you've had into context. You know, um, how what exactly like what is a ton of CO two or you know. Um, how many, uh, you know, what is the kind of CO2 sequestration potential of the trees you've planted? Um, you know, there's also, there's always also some humorous ones, like how many, uh, bathtubs can you fill with, uh, all of the plastic that you've collected? Um, so yeah, we show that on a page we show, we, the, the company can also give an overview of, you know, why they've joined and their goals. Um, and then we always also show the projects that have been supported as well as, uh, the public ledger, which is essentially all of the kind of outgoings, uh, actually going to the project and, um, you know, for full transparency there, um, that page is a standalone page, but can also be embedded into your website. So that's completely up to the brand to see what they want to do. We then also, um, provide these badges and widgets, which, you know, we have, I think 15 different types that we provide. And we also have an API where customers can create their own if they want. Um, and then the last kind of, uh, tool, which I think is really cool is, um, automatic emails that can be sent out whenever, um, whenever what I call it or what we call an impact action happens. Um, so for example, if, you know, you've left a company a review and they've planted a tree for that, then you would receive a certificate with that dashboard where you can then track the tree. And then of course we also do uh, monthly updates to all of our subscribers so that they can, you know, get a snapshot of, um, of the impact that they've created in the last 30 days. Love it. Yeah. Um, and in terms of your, your kind of customer base right now, um, which, which channels have you seen like most effective from a growth perspective? Like I've, I normally like with these kind of solutions, it's very much like word of mouth. They see your widget, they see an impact page, a customer buys from you and recommends it to another company. Like, has it been word of mouth and referrals predominantly, or have you seen success through other, other growth channels today? Yeah, we're starting to test, um, paid ads, but you know, from experience that can be a really big black hole. So, um, yeah. we're kind of cautious on it because you also need to start spending money in order to start getting the correct amount of data in order to, you know, perfect that, uh, targeting side of things. So initially we really started word of mouth. Of course, uh, we have, you know, uh, a pretty good network of people that we could reach out to. Um, we also do the classic kind of, uh, sales outreach. Um, and then we also partner with agencies that recommend our product, uh, to their clients because they can see the real benefit that it brings to them. Um, and so that's been really, really cool. And then there's that, that piece that you mentioned, which is, uh, this self-fulfilling prophecy, maybe, where, you know, once a brand has, uh, these assets that they're sharing in their order confirmations on their website, uh, et cetera, um, other people, whether they're, uh, marketing experts, founders, CEOs, sustainability experts, et cetera, also do shop, uh, or, you know, do browse the internet. Um, and so then they will start reaching out yeah. as well. Cool. And, um, I don't think I've asked this yet. In terms of the revenue model, like how, how do you, does it work in terms of like pricing? Like how do you make money? 
Yeah, that's super easy. Um, at the moment, we have a subscription that gives access to the platform, and then we make transactional revenue whenever an impact is generated by our automations. We're super transparent about, um, you know, we take a 20% commission on any impact generated. However, I've recently been wrangling with this problem because I don't like that business model. I think, uh, and I, and I'm also not sure how well it scales, you know, when you look at, um, other companies, uh, that are doing, you know, maybe something similar, uh, they are having some success, but I'm not sure how it scales really big because if you think about it, it makes it accessible for a small company, which is great because you can have a reduced SaaS fee, uh, or even no SaaS fee. And, uh, you know, if you're spending a hundred pounds a month and 20, uh, goes to the company and 80 goes to the project, it's kind of manageable. If you then start looking at, um, you know, really large companies that might, you know, start spending, let's say 10 million with you in a year. Um, and they obviously know that, you know, because you're being transparent that 20% is going to you. Is that, is that still fair or should that, you know, you're now getting 2 million. How many trees could you plant with that? Well, how much impact could you have with that? So, um, what I'm currently working on is, you know, how can we, uh, rework this pricing model that, um, you know, all of the, all of the funds that are earmarked for impact are actually going to impact without any, you know, commission or anything on that. Uh, and how do we then create a pricing model where we can still, um, you know, create a really cool business and, you know, uh, be a profitable company, right? Because that's, uh, the main goal is, you know, to do, to have a positive impact, but also to create a sustainable business that allows us to, amp to, you know, create a huge impact. Um, so that's a question I've been wondering about because I don't, yeah, I don't really know how you reconcile that with yourself, that you're taking, uh, funds to, you know, to have a positive impact, but you're taking a cut of those funds. If you're listening and thinking, I'd love to work for a company like this, then you need to go to www.jobsforgood.io, where they have the best jobs in four good companies. From climate change to social impact to green transport, you'll be able to find the perfect job for you. Trust me. Check it out, www.jobsforgood.io. Now back to the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, and I, from speaking to other people that have kind of similarish businesses or models, like I, I think it's it's always, always going to be that conflicting question, especially when you're running a business that's like for purpose, but also like for profit and, and getting that balance right. But I think whatever you end up doing, it's about having like safeguards. So we will never go across above this threshold. Like as a consumer or a customer, you know that we'll always, this percentage will always go to the projects, but we all are, I think it's always fair. We are a business. We do need to make money. So there was a, always going to be a portion that we have to get. And that's how we, how we make that money. So I think it's just more about being transparent and, and setting like a, um, yeah, like a, a guardrail saying that we would never cross past this amount of percentage or whatever it might be, but um, I'm sure you will figure it out. <laughs> For sure. I guess at the end of the day, Businesses should be paying us for the technology that we that we've built in our building, and not for the impact that they're generating. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. And we've obviously spoke quite. A, you mentioned both, but you, we've kind of both of us been speaking more about the the B two B offering that you have. So talk about kind of the consumer offering. Um, can you just recap again, like exactly what what it is you're offering to consumers, and like, do you see that as a as a big growth space, or do you see that as more as something that's going to help actually generate more kind of like B two B customers? So we, the B two C side or the consumer space side, um, was part of that early MVP that we built. Um, we quickly kind of decided that it's it wasn't the space that we necessarily wanted to be in. Um, so we do build out the product, but we it's. It's very similar to the um, positive workforce uh, product. So, um, you know, you can, it's again, based on industry averages, you uh, sign up, it's a monthly subscription, um, and then you get access to your dashboard, your shareables, um, like your public profile, widgets, all of that, uh, all of those things in order for you to track uh, the impact that you're having. Um, but, you know, we found that 
by following this initial mission of, you know, having a positive action with every transaction, um, our impact can be much bigger um, than if we start going down a consumer route. Cool. Cool. And um, you're probably sick of having this question from investors, um, but, it, you know, you operate in a competitive space. There are other solutions that, that do similar things. What what do you feel makes GreenSpark different? Like what makes you unique? Yeah, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of different solutions out there for different use cases. Um, I think, I think what makes us different is a, a few things. I think, uh, first of all, the impact that we provide is, you know, not just focused on climate action, but we're looking to also kind of, um, expand into, you know, social impact and really allowing brands to support, um, projects uh, that align well with, you know, what either the team believes or what their brand is about or whatever it is that, you know, their motivations are behind it. Um, I think that, you know, the way that we're approaching the problem is really different because I think a lot of people in our space are joining out of altruistic reasons. And of course, you know, we wouldn't be in the space if we didn't, if there wasn't an altruistic reason behind it. Um, but the way that I, the way that I think about it comes back to what I say, what I said earlier is that if we want business to change, the only way we're going to get business to change is if we prove that there's an ROI in changing. Because, and so, you know, not only when you start using GreenSpark, not only are you doing uh, something good for the planet and uh, society, but you're also, um, you know, going to be increasing your core metrics, um, which then allows you to also justify the cost involved. Yeah. All very fair points. And you, you, you mentioned, um, you know, in terms of like where you're looking to, to grow over the next, well, you know, expanding into other areas of impact, more social impact stuff. Like what are the big things do you have planned over the next like one to two years in the roadmap? Too many things. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all, and they're all going too slowly as <laughs> every founder will tell you, I imagine. Um, I think the so the next really big release for us is our API which is uh, which will allow businesses to do everything that they can do in the platform programmatically. Um, the really cool thing is that, so we're just about to close another investment round um, and we have some strategic investors on board that are uh, in the kind of um, payments and insurance spaces. And so we're really excited to, um, to help them uh, add uh, positive impact to every transaction. Um, and then the other thing that I'm really excited about that we're working on is, um, what we're calling imp becoming impact agnostic. So allowing our partners to onboard their own, um, projects, uh, having an automated vetting system and, uh, then allowing them to use us as their tech platform. So the idea is that you can join GreenSpark and you can say, Hey, these are the, you know, 10 GreenSpark approved partners. And I just use one of them. Or actually, I can, I'd like to, you know, support my, um, you know, my local um, project. So I'm just going to onboard them and then uh, automate it all with GreenSpark. Yeah, oh, that's really cool. I've, I've not heard of anything like that before. So look forward to seeing that coming out. Um, and then Thank to, you. <laughs> and then to chat a little bit about your you know, personal journey as a founder, um, this is your second business, as I stand it with the, the same co-founding team from Mamok. Um, you know, as a co-founding team, like what, what makes you such a powerful group of people that you, you're obviously like doing a second venture together? I think we all have different skills, uh, that work very well together. Um, you know, we cover pretty much all of the bases, uh, that you would need in order to start a company, whether it's tech sales, marketing, um, strategic thinking, I don't know what else, what else you might need. Um, and I think it's also trust, trust and um, you know, we've all known each other for a very, very long time. So, uh, Matt is, um, one of my best friends. We've known each other for 14 or 15 years. Um, Madeline is, um, going to be my wife next year. So, uh, you know, also a lot of trust, uh, yeah. and excitement there. Um, and so, you know, I think, I think for me, it would be really hard to start a business with people that I didn't know. I think 
there's maybe two schools of thought here. Some people say starting a business with your friends is a horrible idea because you're, you know, if the business fails or whatever greed takes over or, you know, all of these things, then you're putting your friendship on the line. Um, I really think that as long as you are open and honest and, um, you know, put certain things in writing, maybe if you're worried about them. Um, but there's that general level of trust and that's already there. Um, I would never do anything without their consent or, you know, to harm them. Uh, whereas if it was just someone I met online, I might be like, okay, well, you know, I don't really care, uh, about, you know, Joe Schmo. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. Good advice. And I think someone that you're yeah, going to marry and another person you've known 14 years is a, a pretty, pretty safe bet. Um, in terms of, <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah. um, in terms of like lessons you took from Mamok, uh, or, or if like you had to choose like one thing that you learned from that experience has helped you in setting up and building GreenSpark so far, like what would that be? I think one of the things I already touched on, which is, you know, launch quickly, uh, or launch early, iterate quickly. Um, I think, I think when you start your first company, you want everything to be perfect. So it takes you so long. And then, um, by the time you actually get around to launching, it's, you're already too far down. Uh, down the road, you might have invested a lot of money already or, you know, whatever it might be. So I think that's one of the things. And then the, the second big learning that I, that I've taken away from, uh, from the first company is tech, in my opinion, should be in-house. Um, we outsourced everything or pretty much everything, uh, initially. And, um, it's just really difficult. You start losing, um, you don't really have your hand on it. Um, and you start paying a lot of money for something that you might not have needed. So I guess that's also one of the reasons that I wanted to become a software engineer is I felt like, you know, that was a skill that, uh, obviously in today's world is, uh, indispensable in the directions that we're going. Um, and it was a world that's completely unknown to me. Um, and I always felt working with agencies, you know, why are, why are you taking so long? But then once you're actually sitting down and coding yourself, you're like, okay, I understand why this is taking so long. <laughs> and I understand why there's delays and, you know, unforeseen, uh, circumstances. So for me, that was one of the really big learnings is if you can, and you, you have the opportunity to either because you have funding or someone on your founding team knows how to do it. That's really the best way to move forward. 100% yeah and yeah I think in the early days that's what you see a lot of the um if it is like a co-founding team they'll technically be a te like there will be a technical co-founder as part of that which means that you can build that product in-house and get it off the grounds so I think yeah it's not uncommon for early stage startups to build something and use like an external agency or put like third party for that but then at some point you're always going to have to bring it in-house so I can't think of one company that's actually scaled where they don't own their own tech teams and have that in-house um, so you're going to have to deal with that headache at some point. So yeah, really, really fair point. But I think, sorry, just to add to that, I think also you don't need to, to be, you know, the best engineer in the world. You can also just be a creative person. There's so many tools out there that are no code tools, um, that, you know, you can use to create that MVP. You know, on, on bubble or Webflow or whatever all of the tools are, you can easily, think about, okay, this is where I'd like to be. How do I dumb this down to test what I, what I'd want to test, build it. Don't be scared because I think most people, the moment you start talking tech, they're, they're very afraid of touching it. Um, but actually you can easily build an MVP of a dumbed down idea or, you know, simplistic idea of where you want to go and start testing it. And then you can also use that in order to raise funding to then allow you to hire uh, that tech talent that you might not have in order to build, um, you know, a fully functioning version of it. Exactly. And that's, yeah, that's what we've done with our job board platform. It's, it's built on Webflow. Like within two months, we had that up and running. It's allowed us to start testing it, validating it before we then invest a lot more money in actually building it with like a full on tech team. Um, 
Coming back to kind of a topic you kind of start, touched on earlier, which I think it was kind of coming up when when you started to talk about pricing. But like one thing I'm always interested in chatting to fans about is like the, the natural tension there will be sometimes within the with the business agendas of being like for good or for purpose, as well as being for profit. And sometimes those two agendas will conflict, um, or there's like a natural tension. Like uh, pricing might have been one of the examples, but like have you had any other things so far in the journey that you know where those two things have? come like butting heads and if so do you have like a personal framework for if i'm ever in that like you know that situation and i have to compromise it will always be this or this is like my guiding principle for how i get through those those moments make those decisions um i think as a you know for good for profit enterprise you're always going to be towing that line in between um what can i say what should i say what should i do what can i do uh, and there's no really good answer to to the question, if I'm honest, because when you're when you're running your marketing, for example, um, there's certain certain things you might want to say but can't say. There's certain things um, you know you might not want to be too salesy, or you might not want to be you know too impact focused because you also you know do need that sale. Let's say. So there is that line that you need to, that you constantly need to walk in everything that you do when you run this type of company. So I feel like almost every situation is different. Um, and therefore I don't really have a, a, you know, a framework that I would go by. I, my leading principle is to, you know, always do what I believe is the good thing to do. And, um, and I can't really do any more than that. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty fair, <laughs> fair answer. Um, and my last question relating to you, kind of personally as a founder, is um, you know everyone knows how challenging and tough it is as a founder. It's, it's brutal at times. Um, how do you manage your own mental health? Like what what things work for you? What do you do that helps you in those tough moments? Badly. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> um- no, I'm joking. It's, it's definitely super tough. There's, you know, when you're, when you're a founder, you might start the day with a really bad email. Then you at lunch, someone gives you a glass of champagne because something great has happened. And then at the end of the day, something horrible happens again. So it's definitely, definitely really, really difficult. Um, I think for me, the, the most important thing is to surround yourself with people that you can speak to openly, whether that's um, about the business. So you might have, you know, business advisors or people that you look up to and trust um, for that type of advice. And then it's also really important to have, you know, friends and family where you can speak openly about um, non-business related topics. And actually, it doesn't matter whether your business is doing well or not. Um, because they're providing a different type of um, emotional support, I guess. And maybe I'll get a dog. You know, people say that that's people say that's a good solution. But uh, let's see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've got a dog, and it definitely gets me out of the house every day for forty-five minutes. I think starting the day outside with nature, um, you know, unplugged is uh, is is definitely a good way to go about things. Um, yeah, exactly. um and then um in terms of you know growing a a for good business um it's not easy and it it gets i think harder the bigger you get so i just wondered like what what things have you focused on to make sure that like you know your core values your culture your your company's purpose are aligned they stay aligned and, and yeah they're scalable as you as you grow the team out and more and more people come into the business yeah i think to me there's there's not really a um you know, maybe because I'm a, from a, a new school of thought for me, running a for good business, business isn't simp is simply running a good business. Um, it permeates everything that we do from the business model and the direct correlation that our business has with doing good. Um, I, the more, you know, businesses and individuals that use our platform, the more impact we can generate to the way that we treat our team and the technologies that we use. To me, it means not just talking about uh, doing good or maybe starting a CSR department. 
It really means ensuring that our mission and values um, of having a positive impact on our planet and its people is ingrained in everything that we do as a business. At every step of the way, I ask myself, am I maximizing shareholder value or stakeholder value? Um, and I think tackling this is, uh, is really difficult, as we said before, right? You're always towing this line. Um, and I think for me, one of the things that we instill or that we try to do with our team is full transparency. So uh, if you're wondering about anything in the business, you can go and see it. Um, and I hope, and then a clear mission and values, which I think is really important in order to ensure that everyone is pulling on the string in the same, in the same direction. But for that to work, I think that there really also needs to be that transparency. Um, because I'm, I imagine we've all worked in, in roles that weren't transparent and, um, you know, where we felt that what we were doing was maybe pointless or not having the impact that it should have. Uh, and we all had, you know, many questions about the businesses we were working in. Um, and for me, at least they were never answered. So I think for me, that's really important is that everyone has all of the information that they, um, can have and need to have in order to ensure that every decision that they make is the best decision for themselves and for the business. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think with transparency, hugely important is like an internal core value but that's also something that you've talked about that that um uh goes across you know how you work with your customers how those customers engage with their end customers like transparency is key i think to what you're also doing as like a product and a service um and yeah the other thing i really like is that the fact you've tied doing good relates to revenue like your if your if your companies are your customers are, are increasing the revenue then that actually means they're doing more good um, so I think it's actually, you know, and then you, if your product team's thinking, well, actually, all we need to do is help our customers grow, then that's going to do more good. It, it's actually quite easy to, I think, to help make sure that's all really nicely aligned internally as well. Um, when it comes to hiring, um, I know you've, obviously you've done some hiring so far, uh, and I'm sure you hired for your previous business as well. Like, um, you know, in the early stages, what, what do you look for in people? Like, is it certain values? Is it expertise and certain skills you don't have in house? Like, what do you prioritize in the early stages? To me, there's a couple of components. Um, on the skill level, I like, to, I like to always think to hire someone better than you because what's the point otherwise? Um, if you're not surrounding yourself with people that you can learn from and that are, you know, are going to execute well on the job that they've been hired for, um, then there's little point, uh, in that, of course, then on a cultural level, of course, um, I think the, having a clear mission and vision really helps bring in the right type of candidates. Um, as you probably know from, from your, from your job or from your company, um, people have worked in many different places and usually they've been kind of unhappy about all of those other places. Um, and I think that's why we're, we've been very fortunate to get, uh, can a lot of candidates in with a lot of experience because they say, Hey, I've been working, uh, you know, in pharmaceuticals or gambling or something. Yeah. You know, whatever else it might be. Yeah. Um, and actually I've decided that from now on everything that I do, I want to have a positive impact on our planet and its people. And I was so happy when I saw your company because it's exactly what I'm looking for. Um, and I've digressed a bit from the question, but the other thing that I look for in at least early stage hires is, uh, is a cultural fit in terms of that mission alignment but also an entrepreneurial spirit. So I think sometimes I might even um, prioritize experience. Um, I mean, prioritize that over experience. If someone has, you know, done many different things and is clearly showing um, drive and motivation in what they'd like to achieve, uh, that can sometimes be worth more than someone who's worked for 20 years in an industry and is used to having uh, many people in their team and secretaries and actually doesn't fit in the startup environment. Yeah, I, I completely agree. 
And um, you, you, you obviously, you kind of touched on it there because my, my next question was going to be around like, how you feel Greenspark compete in the market for talent because it's yeah you know, it's still tough no matter what the skill set is it's still hard to hire people and obviously the the mission will be super attractive and that will differentiate you from a lot of businesses. Is, is there anything else that you focus on that that helps you attract good people? I think it's really I think it's really just that I think it's um, you know we offer the same perks or, uh, industry average salaries or above that, um, you know, um, what do you call it? Equity, uh, everything that lots of companies offer nowadays. The thing that we offer that lots of companies don't offer is the mission. And that's why we've been really fortunate in the sense that whenever we've put out a job, we're a really tiny company we don't spend any money on hiring and each time we get hundreds of applications. So I, I think we've been really fortunate on that side to have a business that's exciting to people that they want to join. And do you think, and, and I might be wrong here, but do you think that's also helps that you are also open to where those people are based? Cause that you're not restricting it by, they have to be in this location or just this one country. I, th- I think you're open to people from that are based in various countries, if that's right. Yeah, for sure. So in that sense, I, I think the pandemic has been a little bit good for us since we started uh, our company last year when everything was closed. And so we were remote first from the beginning and this allowed us to hire the best talent, not based on location, meaning that we have a diverse group of uh, people from, you know, from the UK, Austria, Hungary. Um, and I think it's inevitable that the way is going to, is going to keep going this way. Uh, and for us, it makes sense to not hire based on location. So I think that's definitely also helped us for sure. Definitely. I I think the ability to hire, like, you know, everyone now pretty much offers some form of flexibility or like remote working, but a lot of those are still restricted by remote, but you need to be UK based, which is still like a really competitive market. So actually by opening up to, place outside the UK actually will, will really benefit you if you're able to do so. Um, cool. And, and then, um, you know, it kind of wrapping things up now, if, um, I'm sure Greenspark are going to be, um, continuing to grow, especially if you're about to close off another funding round. So for people wanting to follow the Greenspark journey or interested in, in working at Greenspark Lenny, like where's best for them to follow you or, or to get in touch with the team? Yeah, of course. We're going to start opening up some roles really soon. Um, you can go onto our website at the bottom. There's a careers page. You can also uh, follow us on all of the various social medias, except for TikTok. We're not there yet. Um, <laughs> and um, if you, yeah, if there's anything you'd like to chat about or uh, or anything like that, you can always reach out to me on LinkedIn as well. Awesome. Well, Lenny, look, it's been really enjoyable chatting with you. I'm going to be following the Green Spot journey closely and, and yeah, wish you all the best. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me. It's been really, really great. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you've enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode and leave us a review. We're just getting started out, so it would mean a lot to us. This episode was brought to you by Craig Turner, produced by Jabril al and sponsored by Jobs for Good. Until next time.